British artist Jeremy Della and Danish singer-songwriter Pernilla Rosendahl are both artists bringing their work into unconventional spaces. In this conversation, the two share their perspectives on the transformative power of art. Journalist and director of the Louisiana Channel, Mark Christoph Wagner, moderates the talk. This talk is presented in collaboration with Estee Lauder. You're listening to a Heartland podcast. Thank you. Good morning. Thanks for getting up. And thanks for coming all the way from London and Copenhagen. Jeremy, um, everybody knows Penilla in the audience. Um, if you met Penilla at a train or a bus or somewhere, That'd and you had nice. to introduce <laughs> yourself to her, how would you introduce yourself? I would say I'm a visual artist, but I don't make paintings and I don't make sculptures in a traditional sense, which confuses some people, but I work with the world effectively. That's one way of putting it. Mm-hmm. And you have, um, you have made the bed. We went down there to see it. Why are you so fascinated with bats? Well, I think bats are almost like a higher form of uh, creature, better than humans almost. And they have the power to destroy us, as we know, potentially. But also, they do so much good for the environment, and they're such magical creatures. So this work that I'm making, in a way, is try- I'm trying to set up a, see if I can set up a religion to worship bats, effectively. So I'm making <laughs> this, this structure that could be the beginning of a religion. So if you want to join me uh, with this religion, you're very welcome to. Uh. <laughs> very nice. Um, We have a very kind of philosophical theme for this talk, uh, the transformative power of art. We could probably talk for hours about that. I would like to um, start kind of a bit more ground. Maybe it's because I'm German. I like to kind of stay on the ground and start from there Um, and talk a little bit about what you might have in common. And uh, before we kind of turn into artists, I mean, we're not born artists, so maybe let's go back a little bit, Penilla. Um, you are an artist with a big A, and you have been around for many years. Everybody knows you here in, in Denmark. Um, but if we go a little bit beyond, how did your own fascination for art start? Why did you kind of choose the artistic way of life? I th- that's a big question. Mm-hmm. You know? um, We are at Heartland. <laughs> <laughs> as a child, um, I was born into a conservative family. Um, and my dad, he was a violent alcoholic. So the first 10 years of my childhood, I lived in the northern part of Denmark. It's a very conservative uh, area of Denmark called Olbo. And uh, one of the places where I found that there was a room for imagination um, was at the local art museum. So I went there, and when I looked at uh, the art pieces and the installations and the sculptures, uh, for some reason I felt understood as a child. I felt that any, anything is possible, and in the, in the arts you, uh, you can do whatever you want. Um, I don't really remember myself as having a childhood because I was always thinking about not getting hurt. Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, in my early childhood memories, art was kind of saved my mental state, I'd say. And for many years, I didn't know this. And uh, I went to school and I was a very... I, I didn't really function as a, as a child or as a young person. Um, so when I started out as a 19-year-old uh, in one of the biggest activistic music groups called the Savage Rose, um, I found a home. Um, and that's been my home ever since, music. So mm. art, art was a free space? It was a free space, you? yeah. But you, it was, you said... Um, 
It was visual art in the beginning. So you went to museums before. Oh, yeah. So it was pictures, images, paintings before yes. it was music. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Mm. Jeremy, how about you? Very similar in a way. Fortunately for myself, I didn't grow up in a, a, a household with a parent who was an alcoholic, but I didn't like sport very much. My <laughs> father didn't either. So for me, my playing ground in a way was in the museum, was the gallery. So as a young child, I would go to museums and galleries a little bit like yourself. And I found that a very comforting place. I like the idea of time traveling. When you go to a museum, you're going through different rooms and you're seeing different times through history and you're comparing things. And it, for me, it was like a, a big visual playground. And living in London, you're very, very lucky. You have museums of all kinds of things, some anthropological museums, museums um, about design, uh, warfare, everything you want as a, as a little boy to go and explore. So museums are my second home, really. Mm. Is there a certain, I mean, I can feel, well, you, Penelia, I know the story that there is a certain sensibility and you probably also learn empathy because you always put yourself in another's place, uh, your mom's place with your father. You had your, this community with your sister as well. Um, do you think this kind of sensibility, sensitivity is, um, uh, how do you call that, um, is kind of a Uh, has to be there to be able to kind of engage with art. Does this come before the art? I know for sure that, you know, when I experience art, you know, that wakens me, uh, you know, wakens the empathy or the imagination. When we went to see the big bat, mm -hmm. you know, I felt like hugging him, you know. <laughs> and, um, and the birds did as well. There was a lot of birds. Yeah. We were really happy with the bat sculpture. Um, and, and I know what art does to me, you know. I, I feel more, you know, it, it awakens, you know, the, the, the softer sides of you as a person and, you know, it, it sets the brain free. Right? Mm. So, and I think that the world really needs that. Um, um, but I, I think for me it was a damage. I, I see myself as a damaged person, mm. but then I, at some point I found out I have to put this to use. Um, It's interesting you said about joining a band. I didn't have many friends at school, mm. but the only time I really got friends was when I joined a band at school. Mm. They were a terrible band, <laughs> but the friends were great. And we, used to, you know, we, we, we would play songs in public, but we hadn't even heard all the way through, like cover versions. We couldn't be bothered to hear the whole song because it was too long. But it was really <laughs> when I found myself and my real friends were in the band. And I think same similar to you, but maybe more, a more extreme version, a more profound mm. version. But mm. that's, again, another form of art making together, which where you find yourself. So I think as our childhoods, in a way, are quite similar in the way we've used and been around art been so important. I was really curious about, you know, because we share, you know, um, the vision uh, that, you know, we work uh, with society, you know, we, 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 we are interested in politics, and do you, where, where does that come from with you? Everything I, I read about you and see, it has a political Uh, side to it. You in were young way. in the Thatcher area. Yeah. You were young in the Thatcher area. Well, I mean, I grew up, you know, most of my childhood and adolescence was, uh, was in the shadow of this leader, of this right-wing leader in Britain, Margaret Thatcher. So, for like a huge amount of my life, like half my adolescence or half my childhood, she was in power. So, this figure was always looking over you and mm. dominating your kind of consciousness. And so, that was a very authoritarian uh, person and had a, had a huge effect on, on a young person because it's actually quite frightening mm. to see Britain tear itself apart in the mm. 1980s. Mm. It's a very violent time. So that has stayed with me and worked, I've worked with that since um, or against it. So that's, that's why. Mm. It's, it's funny because you mentioned um, the Savage Rose times mm. um, which was, you said, very left-wing yes. uh, at the time. But also in the Thatcher area, the punk music became, played a big role. It was kind of... Well, I think 
without getting too sentimental, I think in the 1970s and 1980s, the dominant culture for young people was music, and that was everything. And in the UK, music was so important to young people. It was how you found out about the world, how you rebelled against the world, and so it was something that was all-encompassing. It was the equivalent of the internet, what it is now for young people and technology. So it became a very defining feature. So if you ever meet someone of your own age in the UK, you can always have a conversation around music because it was the thing you have in common with most people. Mm. And there's a very deep connection for people because mm. of music that mm. they liked. Um, you gave us punk rock, right? We, 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 not me personally, I didn't <laughs> give you punk rock, but uh, I will take credit for it if you want to. But um, yes, I suppose the UK was very strong and still is really in terms of popular culture and popular mm. music. Mm. And it's something that we've, we have a history of. And so in my work, there's a little bit of music in my work. Not that you'll see it today. You're going to see different things, maybe, if we see some images. There. So back, back to the... I just would like to... We're kind of... We have known, heard a little bit about kind of how you came along to the artistic world from different directions. Jeremy, you kind of... Um, it was said in the introduction, you won the Turner Prize. Yes. You won kind of... You represented Britain. Side question... How is it to represent a country? I mean, you represented Britain at the biggest art event in the world, the Venice Biennale in 2013. I mean, how can you bear that on your shoulders to represent the whole country as an artist? I, I actually quite enjoyed representing Britain because I was, re I was actually just rep I was representing myself. Yeah. It really, and my view of Britain, the whole exhibition I made was about Britain. It was called, well, it's about England, actually, which is very different from the UK. It's a very different thing. And I called it English magic. And it was really about the good and bad magic in the UK. Mm. The great magic of popular music and then the bad magic of the financial services, of uh, oligarchs, and of uh, how you convince a country to go to war. All those things about persuasion and distraction, but also about magical events in popular culture. So it was, it was a mix of the, what I hate and what I love about the UK. There's stuff about the royal family mm. and uh, cruelty to animals and so on and power, abuse of power. Yeah. It had a lot happening. There's a bit of a way from starting as an artist to, you know, ending at the BNL. So let's talk a little bit about this. Maybe we can show some pictures of some of your works. Yeah. How... Uh, I think it started with you opened the bedroom of your parents' place yes. at one point of time. That's not what you're looking at, by the way. You're looking at something <laughs> very, very different. <laughs> I, 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 uh, as you are here now today, your children might be at home doing an art exhibition in the house without you realizing. That's what I did. My parents went on holiday and I did an exhibition in the house in their absence <laughs> because I didn't have a studio, so mm -hmm. I made an exhibition in the house. And yeah. that was 1993. And everybody was welcome to come? Or? Sort of everybody. I didn't want too many people because my parents would be, get very angry if they... Yeah. And they but they didn't find out until my, years later. My parents didn't realize I'd made an exhibition in the house. I lived at a home at the same time. Mm -hmm. And my mother was very upset. She saw a photograph of the toilet because I did work in the toilet. Mm -hmm. And she didn't like that because uh, <laughs> I left the seat up yeah. in the photograph. <laughs> so very middle-class English uh, upbringing, I'm afraid to say, but... So you choose some pictures and works of yours? Yeah, I thought I'd start with a nice image because we might look at some rather less nice imagery in a minute. Coming but up, yeah. yeah. This is a work I made in 2012 called Sacrilege. It's very clear what it is, I think. Stonehenge? It, it's, the, it's an inflatable version of Stonehenge that toured Britain and then toured London during the Olympics. And it was basically for, for anyone to go on. It was free entry. And it was basically Stonehenge on tour. And it was a way to look at national identity, mm. to have fun with it, mm. have fun with our history. Because I felt this was during the Olympic year and I, I just didn't like, I don't really like organized sporting events. I find them very pompous and nationalistic. And I wanted something that in a way was making, was uh, not making fun of British history, but showing we have a sense of humor. Mm. Because I do believe that countries that don't have a sense of humor about their history are absolutely they're doomed, or their authoritarian states. You don't see much sense of humor you know, from China or Russia about their history. They take it very seriously. It's something that is sacred to them. So I wanted to take a sacred 
site in the UK and for people to interact with it and enjoy it. Mm -hmm. That's simply what it was, really. It looks like a lot of fun. <laughs> it's yeah. a lot of fun, and you take it anywhere in the world, and yeah. people react the same way. People mm. go crazy on it, mm. and it's for adults and children. It's not just for children. Mm. And were there kind of reactions by the British establishment that you took a national symbol and made it into a playing ground? It was actually quite interesting. I called it sacrilege, because I thought, I'm going to get a criticism in the title. Before anyone says, this is sacrilege, I say, yes, that's the title because I thought people would be angry. But actually, we had, we had Druids turn up. You know, Druids are these like priests, pagan priests, mm. and they were so happy to see it. Mm. And I thought they'd come and destroy it or go crazy on it, but actually mm. they were so happy mm. to see this and see people enjoying it. It's just about pure joy, really, as a work, mm -hmm. and, um, which was quite overwhelming. I wasn't expecting so much happiness, for me, for me to make so much happiness in mm. one place. Let's go on. Just you know, it's just to give you a little introductions about some of the works that Jeremy has been doing. Yeah. Maybe we can switch on to the next picture. Is yeah. So this is less a man. A man maybe it, some of you might recognize. This is Rupert Murdoch, the media guy. Media monster. Um, I made a work. This is a test burn. I made a work where I had a life-size candle of him and his son Lachlan who now runs Fox News in America, and I burnt them for the public to see. And this is a test burn of Rupert. Uh, <laughs> it was meant to be unpleasant and disgusting, but also kind of beautiful as well. So in a way, it was meant to be like a religious artwork. And we presented the work, if you can show the next slide, please, mm. in, a in a deconsecrated church, and that's them burning. Wow. And Lachlan's head has come off, his face is on the floor, mm -hmm. and Rupert, is, his head kind of went down. And by the end of the day, Rupert's head was still on, his face was still on. But it was, meant to, it was for the public to see and witness these two men slowly burn away over 12 hours. Could you burn them to the ground? You could burn them to the ground, it mm. would take some time. Mm -hmm. That took 12 hours, mm. so it'd be over a week or so. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it was meant to be something to... to uh, to uh, look at them and think about them, think about their souls, and, mm. and not exactly pray for them, but consider the mortality of these two men mm. who, in a way, have done so much damage in the world. Mm. But again, here, here's a kind of a political dimension of your work, because Robert Murdoch is not only a media figure, but a very public figure and a very influential figure. In, in the UK, he's had more of an effect on public life in Britain than probably any prime minister. Um, because he's consistently for 50 years has, has been interfering in British public life mm. and has been making some very bad decisions for the country and mm. had a lot of, lot of power over, over politicians. They're terrified of him. Mm. He basically runs a, a blackmail machine mm. at the bottom of his empire. It's just blackmail. And at the top, it's like these very established news titles of the establishment, mm. but actually he runs sort of he has all the information on all the people, and so he can effectively blackmail and bully mm. politicians, and they're terrified of him. Mm. He. Very nice. Let's take one last picture. It's a... Yes. Uh, that's, that's somebody you know from your world? Yes. He has your hair, actually. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's Iggy Pop, yeah. the musician. Mm -hmm. And I did a, a life class with him. Mm -hmm. So that's him, fully naked which for him is not so much of a big deal, being drawn by a group of Americans. And it was a way to document this body, this incredible body that is, in effect, uh, absolutely is central to rock music and the culture of rock music in the late 20th century as any male body. Mm -hmm. And also, it's very unusual for a man to be consistently almost naked through his career, which he has been, you know, from top up. Mm. From the age of 22, mm. he's been topless, and he still is topless. He still mm. doesn't wear much or anything from the waist up. So you've seen this body change over mm. time, mm. and you've seen it age, and he's kind of proud of this. So I felt that only art, again, going back to this idea of the primacy of art, only art can document this incredible, important body. And so I had a group of Americans, all different kinds of people, different ages, ethnicities, draw him. So they were basically documenting this body, which has really lived in the second half of the 20th century, up to now even, 
and been witness to so much change and so much has happened to that body, mm. you know, good and bad. Mm. Let's take one last picture. Is uh, number 21, the Yakir picture? 21. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> That's one of the drawings of Iggy Pop, I think. Yes. Right. It's a kind of uh, an reenactment. This is basically... Uh, I know I'm not in Sweden, but I'm close, aren't I? But uh, <clears throat> this was um, a commemorative project for the First World War in the UK, and it was in 2016 on the anniversary of a, of the, a, a great defeat by the British Army when they lost 20,000 men in one day. And uh, we were trying to work out how, to, how do you commemorate this amount of death and uh, what, was, what is the, the memorial. And, this, and so I came up with the idea of a memorial for thousands of people, men, in full uniform to appear and disappear around the country and go into modern Britain and intervene. So the idea of a memorial usually is it's one big thing and you walk to it and you feel sad and that's it. Whereas this was the memorial walks around Britain, comes to you and, you, and it, was a mm. it was a total mm. secret mm. as well. So no one knew it was going to happen. So all these groups of men went to railway stations, went to shopping centres, went to modern contemporary Britain not heritage Britain, and just were there present on the day. Mm. I would <clears throat> like to, to stop here for a little while because this connects to Penilla's work as well, and we'll see some of your pictures as well. Um, your art pieces are kind of very often not shown in the traditional kind of surroundings for art at museums and institutions. You take art to the public sphere, um, and that seems to be, there seems to be a thought behind it. Why is it so important for you that kind of art goes out to where the public is? Well, for a number of reasons. I like the, 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 the risk and the random quality of being in the public realm. You cannot control the environment. So things happen you don't expect, mm -hmm. which is interesting. Also in the UK, especially as an artist, you want everyone to see your work. But also in the UK, with that project, for example, that was paid for by the British public. Um, that was, and so the British public should have an opportunity to see it. So it should be in public, I think. It's a kind of democratic nature of public art. Uh, and uh, so if you put it in a gallery, you restrict the audience very massively to like 1% of the population. That day, for example, with those pictures of the soldiers, we think around two million people saw that work in one day mm -hmm. because it was in very big public spaces in the UK, at least two million in person. Mm. Wow. So, uh, and it cost a lot of money to make. So in a way, it was good value for what we did. Mm -hmm. I read in an interview um, with you that you have all those, you don't have a studio, but you have all those kind of notes around your writing desk, so there's a lot of ideas, and some you realize and some you don't. It's like anything. It's like a song, or mm -hmm. it's like anything. You have ideas that you keep in your head, and you hope one day you can make. Mm -hmm. So for Iggy Pop, for example, I asked him when uh, 15 years ago to do this project, and he said no. Mm. And then he did it 10 years later. Mm -hmm. And I asked him, why did you do it? You say no to me in 2005, but yes in 2015. And he said, I was, um, in 2005, I was too young to do it, because mm. he was 60. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted to do it when he was like 69 or 70. Mm. So that's... So it's you a good keep, argument. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a very counterintuitive argument, argument to, to want to be drawn when you're older and your body is less, uh, looking less like a male physique. You know? But maybe to the two of you, I mean, can you take us to this... Moment, all us that are not artists. I mean, you're sitting, let's say, Jeremy is sitting at his writing desk, and there's all those kind of small notes, and suddenly you realize this is what I'm doing. I try to realize this idea. Or you're sitting writing, and suddenly there's a line, and say, Yeah, that's the song. I mean, what is happening right there? It's a good question. I mean, it happens all the time. I had, a, <laughs> I, I had this um, post uh, the 1914 election, um, where the Dansk Folkeparti, it's like a very... Um, right wing. Yeah, and very um, 
I mean, they don't like foreigners, um, and um, and uh, they they a lot of people voted for them in the 14, 19, uh, 2014 uh, election here in Denmark, and I was puzzled because uh, the narrative uh, in all the media was that you know that. Denmark is, uh, there's, you know, all the people living in uh, the countryside and they're hicks. And then we have all the major cities and they're all the clever ones. And I was just puzzled by that narrative. Um, so I had one thought, you know, on the night, election night, that I would, I would like to, um, to meet the Danes and, you know, to, to see for myself if that was right. So I've spent all those years since that, you know, going out in all over the country and meeting people, you know, talking to them and, you know, to make my own little, um, what would you say? Um, research. Research, you know, of the Danes. Maybe we can show Prinidis picture three. We'll see very literally that you'll go out, see the Danes. Here you go. Yeah, so I, you know, um, eight years ago, I did an album that was my first solo album. And uh, I've been in the very, in the more commercial side of the music business from when I started out making music. Uh, when I turned 42, I did my first, um, my first solo album and I couldn't get a job. Nobody wanted to give me shows, uh, festivals like this, or uh, all, all the, the, the places where I would normally go, they wouldn't give me a job because they thought that it was too uh, hard, the, the, the album was too difficult. Mm -hmm. And I was puzzled because it's about a, a, a crisis in life, and, but that's normal. I mean, we all go through crisis, so why, why, why wasn't I welcome? Mm -hmm. Um, and I couldn't make a living, and at that point I was alone with my son. So, out of necessity, I was like, okay, I need to live. Mm -hmm. So I started playing in places where I didn't need to be invited. And that could be in, outside. Um, I started calling churches and museums, mm -hmm. um, places where musicians wouldn't normally go. Mm -hmm. And uh, I started touring in places where music normally wouldn't be presented in the manner that I wanted to present them. So I took music out of the festivals and out of the, the common conventional um, bars and stuff, and, and, and I placed them out in the public, and, uh, and that's what I'm doing there. It was out of necessity, but also of curiosity because you said oh, yes. you wanted to meet the Danes, you yeah. wanted to meet the country and kind of go against the kind of the public definition of what Denmark is and like you said with the uh, election in 2014. What did you discover? I, I've, I'm still discovering a lot of mm. stuff, but um, at some point I went to, it's, it's, it's actually a good story, I, I, I went to a church out west, and uh, at that point I'm working with this architect who's doing the, 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 the scenography and the lighting of my show, and we took fabric, tulle, and we, 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 we packed the altars, you know, with uh, fabric. And then we shot images, you know, because we wanted to transform, you know, the, the suffering of Jesus. We wanted to transform it into something more magical, you know, just to get, you know, the imagination sparked. And, um, and I toured, you know, you know, little cities. I, I often, I would rather to a small cities and big cities. It's mm -hmm. part of the investigation to go where a lot of normal musicians won't go. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I remember that when we went to Vestuland, it was not a problem, you know, to put fabric over the altar. They were like, oh, that sounds fun. Mm -hmm. And uh, when whatever we did, people thought that it was a lot of fun. But then I went to Copenhagen, and I was, I, I was having a show in Copenhagen, and uh, the, the priest, he said, no, you cannot put up the fabric. 
And that was in the major cities. He was like, no, that's uh, sacrilegious, you cannot do it. Mm. So what I found is that it's not possible to say that people are this and that, you have to meet them. Mm-hmm. And you know, for the media to, 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 to have the narrative, you know, I, I'm really, you know, when you have Murdoch, you know, he's, it's such, I mean, the media is such a powerful um, institution. And as artists, we, we need to, we need to be brave in, in how, you know, that we just, we, we cannot just eat up, you know, what they're saying. We have to be courageous and, and see maybe the narrative is different. Mm. What, was the, what was the response from the public when you went to these places? Well, pe- people, uh, I mean, so I have this uh, mission that I would like people to cry. Um, and so I, f- I feel that, you know, if people, I mean, you're, you're a much happier person. I think I need to spend time uh, with you, Jeremy. <laughs> just look at his coat. <laughs> I'm right. just trying to be happy. You know, it works. <laughs> uh, but Penelope, right there, why, why would you like people to cry? It's just, it's something I say, but I think when you, what, 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 what music can do is that it connects you with the deepest emotions that you didn't know existed. Um, we have science uh, right now. We're doing scientific work in the University of Aarhus here in Denmark, um, where we work. There's a guy, uh, professor. He works with um, dementia, uh, people with dementia, dementia. And uh, if you play music to them, they will they will suddenly wake up and they will remember all these. Uh, uh, stories and so I, I really truly believe that music wakes up, you know, the deepest inner memories mm-hmm. in the human body, mm-hmm. and and I think tears uh, are, are the most powerful emotion, you know, that we know of right now. So when I say I would love people to cry, it's because it's it's the gift pe- the audience give back to me. Yeah. Is it wrong they cry. to say that, um, I mean, you, you work with different media, but, um, I mean, in what you're doing, you both kind of use art to connect with people. We have this traditional image of art, of course, it can hang in a museum, it can touch us, it did in your childhood. I remember the first time I was touched by a big painting of Anselm Kiefer, which was in the museum. But I mean, you're taking art to different places and, you know, in connection to our theme and topic, kind of the transformational power of art. I mean, it has to transform somebody, so you have to get in touch. So art is, is a media to reach out to people, and this is what you're doing both, isn't it? Well, if you think about it, the museum is a very recent invention in terms of human uh, evolution. Yes. It's only the last 200 years we've had museums. So before that, art was always, not always, but often in public. Mm. It was like big public events. It was celebrations, rituals, music around religion, pre-Christian, Christian. So it's actually not unusual to have art in the public realm for the, for the public that people make as well as experience, it's actually what's been going on for thousands of years. So the museum is, a, is really a very recent phenomena. Mm. But, but there are a lot of artists who kind of, whose dream it is to end in an institution and clearly I mean, we can also see some more pictures of Penelope. just go through please. I mean clearly you're f- for search to, to take your music to different places, like, I don't know, this one? Maybe another picture. Yeah, maybe. This is if you just else. go on, there's this one of the Tynus Museum in the... Yes. This is Tynus Museum? This is Tynus Museum. Yeah. Um, well, what I found is that when you... I, I work with different things, you know, when I go out and, and I don't know how you do it, Jeremy, but I, I've found that working with, you know, trying to 
stir up people's expectations. It puts them in a place that opens the heart, right? So when people go to a concert, they expect certain things to happen. And I, I love to play with that expectation and do something that frightens people a bit. I think, I think frightening is a good word. You know, mm -hmm. when I did the project with the soldiers, you mm. saw, yeah. I, I had a big notebook and I wrote in the book, almost page one, I want to make children cry. Yes. Which, of course, is something you should never say Next ever. level. <laughs> this is the worst, worst thing to say in 21st century Britain. Mm -hmm. But I, like I did. It. I wanted people to, children especially, to be really quite frightened by the work. They weren't, unfortunately, but, you know, <laughs> other people cried, but for different reasons. But, uh, yeah. yes, I think you're there to unsettle the, um, the public space or the private mm. space. Mm. You're there to... Uh, be surprising, mm. uh, and so on. And mm. I think that's... People want that. I think the public are very hungry for experience mm. and for mm. art uh, to do this to them. I think people really want that. Mm. The more you live online, the more you want these connections as well, I think. Mm. So, I totally agree. Mm. Um, right. But yeah, crying is fine. We had people crying, but mm. our people cried when they saw the soldiers, because it was the week mm. after the Brexit vote, which is like, oh, make yeah. you want to cry just thinking about it mm. in Britain. Mm. And I think a lot of people, when they saw these men dressed as soldiers that had died, mm. they understood the idea of uh, national identity, but mm. also sacrifice. What, what is a real sacrifice for your country, rather than... A lot of politicians were sacrificing their country mm. for themselves, for their careers. And we have now a prime minister who did that. Mm. Absolutely. So I think it made people understand historically what sacrifice in Europe really, mm. may, really means. Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was by chance it was then. Mm. But it's kind of similar to you with this poster, thinking about, well, what, is, what does this mean? Mm. What, is Brit what is Britain? Mm. Who are these people? And so on. Vanilli, mm. so. you, when we spoke on the phone, you said that, I mean, there's a lot and in your case, in music that's inside that can be released. Um, for example, memory, uh, especially here in Denmark, we have a lot of a singing tradition. Mm -hmm. uh, music plays a big role also with kind of family gatherings. Mm -hmm. That's the one thing. The other thing is that you are very engaged with music and kind of, maybe it's wrong to say healing, but uh, with the well-being of people. Um, tell us a little bit about this. So there's something in music that is contained, which you as an artist try to liberate. <laughs> is that the right wording? Yeah, yeah, that sounds very beautiful when you say it. <laughs> um, I, 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 I deeply believe that music can have healing powers, and I, and I know that and it, it's not something, you know, it's, it's not a spiritual thing. It's, it's, it, it, it could be, but... Um, I think that uh, science will, um, uh, um, right now there's a lot of uh, um, uh, people around the world, you know, trying to figure out what music does to the body. And I think that, you know, the healthcare system and, and uh, the way that we built uh, society, um, they will, I, I, I hope in my lifetime, they will discover the, the healing powers of art. So I, I do a lot of lobbyism for, you know, for the arts to have a very concrete uh, role in the way we build societies. In this world of kind of, as we spoke before, we're living in, in turbulent times and um, Uh, there are a lot of voices out there. I mean, Robert Murdoch is one of them, um, but yours is one of them. Um, and, and we all know that kind of the, the voice of artists is important, and in many cultures, the English, British culture, in Denmark, even in Germany, very man, ma many times in times of crisis, we ask our uh, artists and writers to give us good advice. Um, I mean, typically, if, you, if we would go to war, we, in the old days, we would ask Günter Grass what his, mm. his opinion would be about that. Um, this kind of 
public responsibility as an artist, um, this our kind of seeking your advice, is that something that you feel as well you have to deliver upon? Is that a heavy burden on an artist's shoulder? Well, you shouldn't really listen to artists <laughs> no. necessarily all the time. I know <laughs> some artists that like people you wouldn't want to uh, listen to necessarily. I just... Maybe it is a bit of a burden. It, maybe it shows a lack of imagination in politics that you have to talk to artists about these things, possibly. <laughs> If you have better political leadership, you might not need artists, I suspect. Maybe I'm saying the totally the wrong thing, but uh, that's what I think, you know, because artists are human beings and they have their own problems and faults and they're not perfect people. Mm. Um, we shouldn't put them on a... But some, some artists are public figures. And like, for example, if Pernilie in Denmark, if she writes a chronicle in a paper, people will read it and will react to it. Yes. I've well, gone overboard with that thought. Yes. I really do think that, you know, the prime ministers of the world, they should have spin doctors that were artists, mm -hmm. right? I That think... I really do believe that, that artists should be used much more, you know, in the political system. I think we could, we could you know, try and, try and think about, you know, if, if you're thinking about um, should we um, do a, 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 a motorway Uh, through the landscape here. If you had an artist, you know, th you know, in, in that thought process, I mean, would, would, the, would the road be different? I mean, I'm, I'm talking business. I'm talking down to, you know, the, 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 the doing hospitals, doing, you know, the, the, the way that we implement creative ideas in society. I think artists should be all over the place in governments. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> Obviously, that's a very popular idea, so I will, I will agree with you. You're absolutely right there, Penilla. Just, just don't listen to what I just said about artists. <laughs> but, but maybe there would need more artists like you, Penilla, that actually engage in this public discussion, because, you know, there are artists that are kind of, you know keeping within their own sphere, saying, I'm only doing art and I, I want to be understood through my pieces of art. There is not many people like you who engage in a broader discussion. Well, I think, I think quite a bit of people do, but mm. I think the, what, is, what, is, what is hard is that the political system, system and how you make changes in the political system, if you don't know how the system works, it seems like something that's not doable. Mm -hmm. I've been working with political issues um, in, in uh, in, in what mm -hmm. is a yeah. It's a union. Yeah. In a union since, since I was uh, 26. Uh, so I know, the, I know the ways to change the system from within. I know how to speak to politicians. Um, so I'm not that afraid. I know that there is a way um, but I think if you if you stand outside it can seem like a mountain you don't want to climb mm. so I think more and more people especially young people um, they, 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 they want to you know be part of the change and that they learn the system mm. so uh, I, I, I'm, I'm I think we will do better mm. in the future Jeremy, you have spoken up from time to time within the British discussion. I think there was, you articulated yourself on Scotland at one point of time. Oh, yes, yes. That was very unpopular yeah. for certain people. <laughs> yeah. I, didn't, I just didn't want Scotland to lead the union, yeah. as we call it. But can't you understand them after you left Europe that they... Well, that's, yes. That, this was before Brexit, by okay. the way. <laughs> BB, we call it, before Brexit. Yeah. Um, but after Brexit, yes, anything can happen. Mm -hmm. And I can understand why you'd want to leave the mm. union. Mm. And they might, and so might Northern Ireland. Mm. So uh, the landscape has changed massively since then. But at that point, Brexit hadn't happened. Mm -hmm. But uh, I just didn't want it to go. Basically. But at what point of time do you decide for yourself to raise your voice? I mean, there must be so many 
issues where you kind of you could get, be tempted to do that. Yes, you get asked a lot to do things, and sometimes it goes really badly wrong, mm. uh, really badly wrong. And uh, but it's just on a personal basis if you believe in something. Mm. But again, it's you just wonder how what the effect really is. I mean, it's on your Wikipedia page, and people might remember it, but I don't know really what the effect is. Mm. To be honest, uh, it's because it's just a, often it's just a letter in the in a newspaper or something like this kind of old-fashioned way of doing things. You sort of, I, I mean, maybe you hope by just making your work and doing what you do, you do is is the statement in itself, mm-hmm. but you just don't. Really know if it makes sense to the public. So. I could be interested in one last um, <clears throat> discussion, which I think is, is very interesting at the time. I mean, in in order to be transformative or have transformative power, mm. I mean, art needs to be art. But it seems that we're living in times right now where we are restricting ourselves quite a lot. I mean, you said that <clears throat> jokingly about not making children cry, that's almost forbidden territory. And I could mention a lot of things that are forbidden after all. I mean, uh, in New York, you're not, not, you're not uh, able to show paintings of naked children, even though they're 100 years old, and uh, all those things. So even institutions, they become very mm, cautious about what art to show and what art not to show. And Do you have any thoughts about that? Are we kind of are we limiting ourselves too much after all? <laughs> I think there's... I wasn't expecting this question, mm. but I think there is, a, there is potentially a problem in uh, people that possibly now incredibly sensitive about certain subjects to the point where you can't have a discussion around them. The, the discussion is closed down before it begins. And, uh, but this is, it, but it, I think this is because of social media, effectively. Everyone's afraid of social media and the effects of, of that. And, um, but I think art should be a space where there are quite open and free discussions. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if that's actually happening at the moment. I mean, I think museum culture is very difficult at the moment. It's incredibly difficult because museums are dealing with all the problems of the world, mm-hmm. effectively. They're being heaped on top of institutions. In, and it's almost like governments are giving museums all the problems to deal with rather no. than themselves. Mm-hmm. It's all around race and identity and, and our histories are being played out in museums, but not within government. But is this discussion kind of limiting... Or does it have an effect on you? I mean, when you sit at the writing desk looking at your yellow notes, is it sometimes that you're saying, oh, I should do that because... No? No. You don't feel it kind of squeezing in on you? Not yet. Not yet. But it might happen. But on the whole, I just follow what I'm interested in and hope that it doesn't get me massively sort of attacked or whatever. But, I mean, on the, on the whole, I'm fine. I'm doing okay. So... I don't think I've made any work in the past that could not be made now. Mm. I think it will be kind of okay to make and talk about now. So, Penelope. Yes, I would the- like to, to do one last thing, if that's okay. Um, because one of the festivals that wouldn't give me a job was Heartland. And... Um, <coughs> <laughs> They wouldn't give me the stage so I could come and sing. So, Jeremy, you know, I'm sure that the public would love to demonstrate that we sing in Denmark. And when we visited your bat, and I would like to be part of your bat religion, um, there were black birds sitting on the bat. So I think that we should sing to Jeremy, Jeg ved en lærgerede. Are you up for that? This is... This is a Danish song about a bird. Oh. So this one is for you and your sculpture. Oh, thank you very much. Are you ready? Jeg vil en lærkerede, jeg siger ikke mere. Den findes på en hede, 
It's the summingen seer i reden er der unger, og ungerne har du. De pipper, de har tunger, og reden er så lun. Og de to gamle lærker, de flyver tæt omkring. Jeg tænker nok, de mærker, jeg gør dem ingenting. Jeg lurer bag en slåen, der står jeg ganske nær. Jeg rækker mig på toen og holder på mit færd. For reven han vil bide, og drengen samle bær. Men ingen skal få at vide, hvor lærkereden er. Så fik jeg sunget for Hartland. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> You've been listening to a Hartland podcast. The talk was recorded live at Heartland Festival 2022 and is presented in collaboration with Estee Lauder. We hope that the talk has provided insights and perspective and that you're inspired to check out our other podcasts. They can be found on our website or where you usually listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.